Hello. Good morning, everybody. Super glad you guys are all here this morning, and I hope you've come ready to worship the Lord with us together. Um, a couple of quick announcements before we get started. Uh, first off, I have just a quick praise report from uh, this past Thanksgiving. For those of you who don't know, we were serving meals out of here Thanksgiving Day. And from my understanding, we had 50 meals that were served in-house and then 130 that were taken out into the community uh, totally. Yeah, which is absolutely fantastic. And we, uh, we ran out of food, and we were like, they were scrambling to try and get more. It was awesome. So we're going to be prepared again. Um, we're serving meals over the Christmas holiday as well. Um, so if you still want to volunteer, it is not too late. Uh, please make sure you contact Paul Welsh. He's kind of the guy that heads all that up, and there's flyers all around the building as well that you can see for stuff like that. So get involved with that if you can. Um, the second thing that I wanted to highlight for you before we get started today, um, how many of you are excited for the new Star Wars movie? Okay, yeah, if you're, like, if you're anything like me, you are absolutely hyped for it. Um, we as a church have bought 72 tickets on opening weekend for this Star Wars movie for the theater up here. Um, so what I have right here is a sign-up sheet. If you want to come see this movie with us, again, there's only 72 tickets. They're going to be 10 bucks a pop. Um, and what we're going to do that day, the showing is going to be at 2.30 at the theater up here, and um, we'll just meet over there. But an hour before that, prior to that, we're going to do things like costume contests, whoever shows up with the best, you know, attire, whoever has the best lightsaber, and we're also going to do like a little trivia competition beforehand, and that's going to all take place at 1.30, so 1.30 trivia, 2.30 is the movie. If you want to go, please make sure you get signed up and make sure that I get your money. Um, it's going to be December 16th, so again, it's opening weekend, so if you've been looking for an opportunity to go see Star Wars, come see Star Wars with us, because it's going to be amazing, and I'm really excited, and go Star Wars. Um, with that being said, why don't you guys go ahead, stand up, shake some hands with somebody who is near you or not near you, and we will get this thing started. morning. How many are not eating today? Just oh, not going to eat. definitely eating today. You're definitely eating today. Hope you had a good weekend and were able to relax a little bit. I know a bunch of guys played football yesterday. Who won? The middle schoolers won. Good job, Ben. I don't know if that's true, but anyway. It's true. It's good to be together. 
Let's focus our heart, our attention to him.
almighty God, maker of the heavens and the earth. Father, you have filled the earth with your presence, with your hand, and with your glory. And Father, today we're reminded to be thankful, to see your vast love and mercy and grace. We're thankful for Pikes Peak, that we get a strong reminder every day that you are mighty, that you are big. So we open our hands up again today. We open our lives up to you, our futures, our finances, our fears. Father, we try to let go of our grip. We open ourselves up to you. Reminded stronger, that you are higher, that you are greater than whatever we got going on, that you are longing for us to trust you. We thank you. i
God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our Pastor Brian believes that. That's good. You may be seated. It's good to uh, have a time to be grateful. And I've been uh, personally, I went to this conference like three weeks ago. And really one of the main things I came away from that is every day, write down two things that you are thankful for. And there's something about thanksgiving, there's something about a heart of gratitude that puts your focus in the right place for the day. Have you ever experienced that? You know what I'm talking about? Obviously, Thanksgiving is a very biblical thing to do. God likes when we acknowledge that He gave it to us and we didn't create it ourselves. I want to just go through a scripture many of you are very familiar with. It has to do with Thanksgiving. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Then, thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's presence, which exceeds anything that we can understand. After Thanksgiving, His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. After a heart of gratitude. I came across this quote, and I don't even know who it's from. Let's just say it's from Caleb Miller. (laughs) Never take anything for granted. Every day is a gift. And I wondered if we could just share amongst ourselves, if you just want to call out something that you will admit that you have taken for granted, that you just want to say thank you to, or thank you for. Every, never take anything for granted. Every day, everything, every breath, is a gift. Can you share with me something you maybe have taken for granted? I gave you a whole 20 seconds to think about it. It should be overflowing in your brain. Time. Health. This building. Life. Food. 
There we go. Now we're getting some honesty. This is good. Your cousin? Oh, your husband. Not the cousin, though, right? No. Her husband, yes. Thank you. Relationships? The sunrise. What have you taken for granted? What have you forgotten is a gift? Your kids. Freedom. It's too easy to take God's love for granted. What was that? Your home. How about indoor plumbing? Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yes. Anything else? What was that? Faith? Good. just to bypass it all assume it all Father teach us to remember that you are the gift giver it's through your power and your wisdom and your mercy and your grace that you have given. You know this one? Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling calling for you and for me See on the And for 
just want to take a moment and ask your Heavenly Father where He is calling you deeper, where He is asking you to trust Him more, where He is asking you to speak, where He is asking you to walk into unknown waters. Will you talk to your Heavenly Father about where He is calling you? calling? Will you keep whispering? Will you keep directing us? Will you keep pushing us, Father, out into your presence? Pushing us out into your grace? Will you keep pushing us into a reality that you are a good Father who is totally in control. You are a good King. We thank you for that. We want to follow you. I'm forgiven because you
Jesus, we do honor you today. We offer our thanks to you for all that you have done, all that you are doing now. We even offer thanks to you in advance for what you're going to do. All things are, are in your hands. That's a big deal for us because there, there are things happening in this world, there are things happening around us. There are things happening in our homes, in our workplaces, in our marriages, in our families that, that can bring stress, anxiety,
today we make a choice to release all of that into your hands. Today we choose a resting place from all the cares and concerns and burdens of the world and we simply breathe deeply today in your presence. You are our king. Easy words to sing, easy words to say. Holy Spirit, help us to make that a reality in our lives. Teach us, show us what that means, what that looks like. You are our all in all. So we thank you and we praise you. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And what you have done that brings us into a place today where we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And we do so. We choose to do so. We purpose to do so. We are your people called by your name. Humble ourselves before you today. Open up our hearts and our minds to your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Make, help us to allow your word to lead us from this point forward. And it's in Christ's mighty name that we all prayed. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. And I'd like to invite our ushers to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Jesus, you are our provider. Thank you for the provision that has come. And we thank you in advance for the provision that is coming. Take what we have to offer you today. Use it, bless it, multiply it, accomplish your kingdom purposes with it. Build your church across the globe with it, we pray in Christ's name.
want to invite us to the book of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Yes. Hallelujah. What an accomplishment. What an accomplishment for you, Lynn, that you were able to endure. Congratulations. What, what, what a tremendous testimony you are to those of us who are not close to that but are striving for that. Longevity in marriage. What a beautiful testimony it is to the world. Matthew chapter 1. We, we turn our attention now to, to the coming of Messiah. What I, what I need for us to do today is, is try to drop ourselves inside of the system. Remember that system that we were talking about all, all of fall as we were walking through the book of Hebrews? The system that, that God himself implemented, created, uh, put into place. The system that, that Israel, that the Jews had been functioning inside of for, for generation after generation after generation after generation. The, the system that was, was holistic. Every, every aspect of life was framed out by this system. What they would eat. How they would eat. How they would treat one another how they would treat foreigners, how, uh, what, what, what they would do with their money, with their property, everything, what, what they would do inside of their family units, everything about life, all of life was framed out by this system that had been, that had been handed down to Moses. Moses passed that on to the people of Israel, and they had been functioning inside of this system all of that time. So we're, we're going to drop ourselves inside of that framework, inside of that mentality. And inside of that framework, they're awaiting. They are, they are anticipating, they are awaiting the, the arrival of Messiah. But what are they looking for? Who, who are they looking for? And, and where are they looking for it? What, what is curious to me, and, 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 and essentially this becomes the, the driving question for me this morning, and boy, I sure hope we, we were able to answer this question, or at least come to some clarity. But it, it just, it's interesting to me that, that he arrives under the radar. That even though they're inside of this system, functioning inside of this system, and the system is, has provided enough information that they know he's coming, yet when he arrives, it's, it's, it's really very much 
under the radar. Like, surprise. Uh, and, and, and I just, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, why was it such a surprise? It's, it's a little baffling to me. But as we, we dig into Matthew, perhaps we might find a little a- bit of an answer to that. The book of Matthew begins with extremely exciting stuff. Genealogy. Name after name after name after name after name. And you know what? I'm not even going to try to pronounce them. I'll just let you look through those names and you can decide for yourself how to say them. Some of them. But Matthew begins the account with genealogy, and it's really important that he does so. It's, it's crucial, because if, if Messiah has come, then there has to be some proof to the fact that he would qualify as Messiah, and genealogy was crucial for that proof. There were things that they knew. For instance, they knew that he was going to come through the line of David, that, that had to happen. There had to be proof that he was in that line. And as you can see, Matthew is able to show that to be true. But let's just pick up right, right at verse 18. After, after kind of declaring the genealogy proof of, of Jesus, Matthew moves into this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. All of this frames out what what I think is a a critical verse for us today. And that verse was found at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Prophecy... becomes a very critical component to being able to verify or validate that Jesus was Messiah. Prophecy, what is that? It's essentially words that were given to prophets many years prior to that, especially inside of the context of Messiah's birth. These were things that were stated 
many, 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 many years prior to Jesus' arrival, put down and, and, and written down, whether you're talking about uh, Isaiah or Zechariah or Malachi or even the book of Genesis itself, these are, these are places that people inside of the system that was their text. That was, that was their scripture. That's what they went to for understanding on all things, including their understanding of Messiah. And these prophetic words were, were penned. They were, they were put down. And that's what they looked to. Even, even Psalm 22 was, was critical for what, what they were looking for with, with Messiah. Now, prophecy is, is a little tricky. In fact, there's a bit of a problem with prophecy. When you have predictive words put into place, and those predictive words involve humans, and those humans have to walk out what was predicted so that what was predicted is fulfilled, the, the problem for me is it feels like it usurps human free will. I don't know if, if I'm overthinking it, but, but there's a little bit of a problem with prophecy. If prophecy is so predictive, and then the people that have to fulfill it, Mary, for instance, fulfilling the word that we just saw here about the virgin conceiving and giving birth, it's almost as if Mary didn't have much of a choice in the matter. If it's going to be fulfilled, she just has to walk it out whether she wants to or not. Now, she's not nearly as good of an example with the problem of prophecy as, as perhaps Judas. Judas, in my mind, surfaces as a person that just, it seems like he was just doomed. All the stuff that was prophesied about the betrayer, the 30 coins, uh, the fact that he would betray the Son of Man, the fact that it, all these things were put into place. Even Jesus himself, in John chapter 17, before he's been betrayed, and he's in this big prayer between him and the Father, and he says, I, I thank you, God, that I have not lost any except the one that was doomed to destruction. Even Jesus' own words in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, prophesying about Judas's destruction. You can even back up a little bit where you're at the Last Supper. And Jesus says, hey guys, just want you to know, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And they all start going, who? You, me, you, me, you. You know, they're starting to do that thing. And, and Jesus says, well, it's the one who dips his hand with me in the cup. At that point, it's Jesus and Judas in the cup. And Jesus says, go and do what you need to do. There, there's even a prophetic moment, right, that, that is being spoken to in, in that place. And you think, well, man, it's like Judas didn't even have a choice in the matter. He's just doomed. It's, it's almost like all this prophecy usurps Judas's free will. If you look at it from the vantage point of purely predictive, But I, I want to encourage us to expand our understanding a little bit. 
maybe move away from the word predictive and replace it with reporting. Let me explain. We understand some things about God from Scripture. We understand that He's omnipotent. Omnipotent means what? All-powerful. We understand that God is uh, omniscient, and that means He's all-knowing. He knows everything. So He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. We also know that, that God is omnipresent, which means he's, he's everywhere all the time. Now, these are things that, that we have a fundamental understanding of with God. It's, it, it, it helps frame out a human understanding, a concept of, of the infinite. God is everywhere all the time. When I, when I am ministering to people in a counseling session, I'll, I'll, I'll often come to the all-knowing and the, and, and the ever-present aspects of God. And I'll, and I'll remind the person that I'm meeting with of these things. Because when, when we begin to really think through what that means, um, it, 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 it layers our lives out. If God is everywhere all the time, then, then that means that he's in my past, he's in my present, and he's even in my future right now. Think about the profound reality of that. God is in my past, he's in my present, and he's in my future right now. See, I can, I can explain very easily God being in my present. Here we are together. I hope that, that maybe even today you've experienced God's presence in your life already as we've gathered together. But if that hasn't happened for you today, we all have a, a, a the testimony, I'm sure, of when we've experienced God's presence in our lives, in the present. But have you ever experienced Him in your past, in the now? Sounds contradictory, maybe. But man, when, when I've been in prayer, seeking healing for things that have happened in my past, I'm telling you, I've experienced the healing hand of Jesus in my past, in the here and the now, where he has come to my memories, to, to, to my heart and my soul, the place where I have buried things that have happened to me in the past, and he has unearthed those things, and he has healed them and restored them and even redeemed them. That is God currently functioning in my past. He's everywhere all the time. He's in my past. He's in my present. He's even in my future. Boy, that one gets a little more tricky. I mean, how, how can we really be talking about our future? How can I know that God is in my future? I've actually had a couple of, of instances of, uh, where... A word of prophecy has come to me. It was about five or six years ago. It was a Sunday morning. It was about two hours prior to our worship service launching. I was, I was, pray, I was in prayer, and, and I, 
and, and I had a vision, and this vision was, it was church that was going to happen in a, in a couple of hours from that moment. I'm standing up, leading worship, and, and there are three girls sitting directly in front of me. It's in our old building, of course. Three girls sitting directly in front of me. It's summertime, and I know immediately these are Golden Bell summer staffers sitting front and center. The, the girl on the left, I recognize. I know immediately who that person is, but she's not the main one. The, the vision is for this girl that's sitting next to her in, in the middle. I can't see her face. I have no recognition of who it is. I can tell what her hair looks like. I know exactly where she's sitting, who she's sitting next to, but I can't see her face. And God tells me in that vision, I've got a message for her. I want you to deliver it to her today. Three words. I was like, okay. Sure enough, we get into the worship service, and those three girls are sitting right there. The girl I recognize, and there's a girl sitting next to her. I've never seen her before. It was her first time in our church. Had no connection to her or relationship with her at all. Didn't know her name. Never seen her before. And the whole time we're going through this service, I'm thinking, I'm about to rock her world. I mean, I'm like, I've got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce myself to this person. I'm going to say, hey, by the way, I have a message directly from God that's only for you. And I'm thinking, that's weird and a little awkward. And how is she going to receive this? Who is she going to think that I am or, or trying to be here? Service ended, and I went straight up to them and greeted the, the lady I knew. And I met this lady. I said, it's really nice to meet you. I got something I need to tell you. God told me you were going to be sitting here today, and he has a word for you today. And her eyes just got as big as anything I've ever seen. And I had to explain to her the story first so that she didn't really think I was off my rocker. I said, God has a message for you. He simply says this, I choose you. Immediately, weeping, just. I had no context for that phrase, and I, and I wish I could tell you the end of the story. I have no idea what that phrase was about in her life. She came and went, and, and I don't know. But I know that that was specifically for her. Now, was that predictive did, did God usurp her human free will and force her when she came into the doors that day to sit exactly there when she could have sat anywhere? And I would say, no, it wasn't predictive. It, it was God reporting. See, he's functioning in my future, even right now. When I'm here in this moment, and, I'm, and, and all of time is pretty much framed out with, with my present, and I can include the past, I can't see beyond the here and the now. But God is actively involved in that. So he saw where, where she was going to be, and, and the message was for her. So he simply reported to me, here's where she's going to be. And she's the one I want you to speak to. See, that's, that's how prophecy, in, in my viewpoint, in my feeble viewpoint, that's how I can wrap my mind around how prophecy functions. I've seen it happen in my own life. It wasn't predictive. It was simply, he was simply reporting what he had already experienced or seen in, the, in my future. And he 
stuck that information into my presence. Think of it this way, and I'm going to try to go backwards here because we're looking opposite directions. Here's the beginning of time. Here's the end of time. It hasn't happened yet. We're somewhere. We're a day closer to the end than we were yesterday, right? We're somewhere over here. And you've got over here in this area Isaiah doing, doing life. He's inside of the system that God has created, and he functions as a prophet. And he receives a vision from God. He receives a word from God. And he begins to write these things down. Descriptions. Now, are they predictive? Or if God is everywhere all the time and he sees how things are going to unfold as Jesus is walking the earth, he sees that, that Mary is going to agree to this and that the, the virgin will conceive and give birth, or, 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 or that this is in the time period where, where the Romans are going to be in charge and the main source of torture is going to be crucifixions. So he can take that information that's happening and he can drop it, he can insert it right into Isaiah's present. And as Isaiah's writing this down, it's not that it's predictive, it's just that because God is... God over all time, he can simply see what's happening here and report it here. Now, I don't know if I'm far out on a limb or if I've lost everybody or we're good. Does that make sense? That's how I can understand prophecy. And I can understand prophecy this way in that it doesn't usurp Human free will. Human free will is functioning. It's still functioning for us even right now in this moment. It just happens to be that God has already seen that this was going to take place. doesn't mean that he forced Dale to sit right there or George to sit right there. They got to make that choice for themselves. But had he shown me a vision of where these guys were sitting two hours ago, he would have simply been reporting to me that reality. It helps kind of sift out the problem of prophecy for me. So Mary finds herself inside of this crazy paradigm all of a sudden. The angel says what? Well, I guess that's the Luke version. Sorry. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Something that she had agreed to, and we'll look into that as we dig into the book of Luke in the next couple weeks. Prophecy is the hinge pin inside of the arrival of Messiah inside of the system that God himself had implemented. Inside of that system, all of Scripture had been delivered to them. And when I say all of Scripture, I'm talking about nothing, nothing in the New Testament. New Testament doesn't exist at this point. We're, we're, we're inside of that first 
generation of the church. But here's what's really amazing. Put yourself inside of Matthew's shoes. You know, Matthew doesn't write this until roughly 80 to 90 A.D. So there's, there's a solid 70, 80, 90 years between Jesus' ascension and the day that he begins to write this letter, this book as we know it now, Matthew. Inside of that 80 years, we experience some of the stories in the book of Acts. When you, when you dig into the book of Acts, you are, you are watching some of the story of the baby church unfolding. But what we don't see in that is the research that they were doing. That first generation of apostles who had, had walked with Jesus, had heard his voice, had heard his teaching, had, had the private moments with him, had, had witnessed his death, resurrection, especially his ascension into heaven, had what was there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and baptized the church. Those, those people are digging. They're researching. They're having these aha moments. Well, there's Jesus. Look, look, Psalm 22, look at that. When you, when you read through Psalm 22, they're like, we saw that. We saw that happen. We saw that, we saw that happen. We saw that happen. They're having these aha moments as they're digging through Scripture, seeing Jesus fulfilling one thing after another after another. But when it comes to his birth, none of them were there. These were things they did not witness with their own eyes. Because it was pretty much under the radar. So you can imagine conversations where Matthew pulls Mary, Jesus' mother, aside and said, All right, talk to me. Tell me everything you can remember about the beginning. She's like, Oh man, I was a teenage girl pledged to a guy named Joseph. We, we, were, we were getting all of our ducks in a row, and then one day, this angel standing in my room scared me half to death. Introduces himself to me as Gabriel and says, you are highly favored. I was overwhelmed by those words. But then he said, you will conceive, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will conceive, and, and you will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all I could all I could say in that moment is, may it be done to me as you have said. Whatever it is you want to do, I'm yours. Imagine that conversation as Matthew is doing his research. 
And as she's saying that, he's like, whoa! That's, that's, it. that's in Scripture. E- even in that, prophecy was fulfilled. And he's able to report that to us as he begins his letter decades later. All of this took place so that what the prophet had said would be fulfilled. We move into a season where we celebrate the birth of Messiah, his arrival. Not because that's the end of the story, not because we're consumed with infants in mangers, but because we know that that is the beginning of the accomplishment of fulfilling all that the framework had been put into place for. That one day that baby would stretch his arms out on a cross. On a Roman cross that didn't even exist when the prophecy was implemented. When the prophecy was was brought to Isaiah. He had no idea what he was really writing, what what, what that was going to look like. So I come back to, well, how does all this happen under the radar? I mean, you, you, you might say, well, shepherds showed up and wise men showed up. Well, well, they showed up because they had special revelation in the moment. This massive amount of angels shows up to these shepherds hanging on the field. It's happened today. Here's where you go to find him. Or the magi, a, a great star appears. And, they, and as they're researching it, they, be, they come to an understanding of what that means. And they go searching for it. They had to have all this special revelation to even show up onto the scene. It's still happening under the radar, even though inside of this system they had all of this information. As as I'm sorting this out, I, I feel like I come to the realization that when God is reporting this, taking this little bit of information out, this little bit of information out, and, and inserting it into Malachi or into Isaiah or into Zechariah, or even Daniel. He's giving just enough. Just enough information that when this first century church begins to do their research and they're digging, they're pouring over the scripture, there's just enough information there where they go, they see Jesus, they see Jesus, they see Jesus, they see Jesus, they see Jesus here and there and there and there and there. And all of a sudden, it all the information compiles to you. Man, how could they not see it? How did it happen under the radar? But he didn't give too much information. Because see, if he had pulled the whole scene out and delivered that whole scene, address, time, date, everything to Isaiah, well, what would have happened? Herod would have wiped him out. You'll see that. You dig into Matthew chapter 2, you see Herod, Herod did everything he could to wipe him out, to keep all of this from happening. God pulled out just enough that before it happened, 
They couldn't fit all the pieces together. How could he be from Bethlehem but also come out of Egypt? Like there was, there was no way for them to, to understand how the story was going to unfold. He just gave just enough information that when, as the story unfolded, they were like, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. It's, it's amazing to me. It's really quite profound to me. And if I'm the only one that's understanding it, well, I'll just have a little profound party for myself. But I'm amazed by this, that in his sovereignty, in his ability to see all things at all times, he gave us just enough that we could validate, verify that Jesus is God. Jesus is Messiah. Messiah has come and he's fulfilled all of this. Even though somehow as it was happening, it was happening right underneath the radar of those whose eyes were looking, searching, waiting, anticipating, knowing that Messiah was coming. They even had enough information to know that it was the right time of, of world history. They knew that from Daniel. So they knew. They knew that, that it was time. They, they, they were ready, yet somehow it all happens right underneath the radar. So that you and I, over 2,000 years later, would be able to experience the saving grace of a God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Will you stand with me and sing? Oh, come let us adore. Oh, come. bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine on you. Be gracious to you. May you experience the Prince of Peace in your life over the next few weeks. Have a truly amazing week. We'll see you next week. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ.
Fear for sin. 